invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to our text this Lord's Day. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Romans 11, verses 25 through 26. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. We'll stop there in verse 26. We've been considering in the last several weeks, in light of the contemporary events surrounding us concerning Israel, the Palestinians, concerning uh, the trouble, the war uh, that is going on at this time, we've taken up a brief uh, study of Israel and what the Bible says about Israel's past, uh, the present, place of Israel and God's redemptive history and the future place of Israel. We considered most recently in the Old Testament uh, three Old Testament passages that speak of Israel's future national restoration, conversion, coming to Jesus Christ. Many more could be cited. We looked at three, but uh, as I said, we could uh, look at many more than that because there are uh, quite a few of that nature in in the Old Testament. But now we turn to the New Testament to see whether there is confirmation in the New Testament of what we have already noted in the Old Testament prophecies. Does the New Testament likewise confirm those same promises concerning Israel's future? Or do we find an entirely different account and story than that? So that Israel, the promises made to Israel in the Old Testament are not going to be fulfilled? Uh, or that they've been realized in the church rather than a national conversion and turning to Christ in the future? The clearest reference to all uh, to Israel's future restoration, I would submit, is found in the passage we've just read in Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved. As one might imagine, uh, there is controversy over the meaning of these words, and so all Israel shall be saved, and we'll seek to address in the sermons, uh, this one and perhaps another sermon, some of these uh, different positions with regard to the meaning of those words, and so all Israel shall be saved. But I submit, just to summarize what I believe the Bible teaches, I submit that the interpretation that teaches a future conversion of Israel as a nation in the future, conversion to Jesus Christ, and teaches 
that that converted nation of Israel will be brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a new or novel uh, position. In fact, it was not a position or an interpretation that originated in the 19th century with dispensationalist teachers, as some have falsely claimed. I had noted some historical references in a previous sermon, but I want to just focus on historical references right now to give to you that are simply addressing that one um, verse. And so all Israel shall be saved. What has historically, not just beginning in the 19th century, but what has historically been promoted with regard to those, that one verse as far as the meaning of that verse? Well, let me give you a few examples. And these are all, as I said, interpretations of Romans 11.26. Well, first of all, let me give to you, and many more as I have indicated could be given, but let me just select these few. In the Dutch annotations, uh, the Dutch annotations were a commentary on the Old, uh, Old and New Testament that were, that were authorized to be um, gathered together at the Synod of Dort uh, in Holland in 1618 to 1619. Uh, the Dutch annotations were completed in Dutch in 1637 and then translated into English in 1657. And this is the note that we find there on Romans 11:26. All Israel, that is not some few, but a very great multitude, and as it were, the whole Jewish nation. John Dia Dottie lived from 1576 to 1649, was a reformed minister in Geneva and delegate to the Synod of Dort. And he wrote in his commentary, speaking of all Israel shall be saved, that is the body of the people of Israel in general, shall be put again into the way of salvation and reestablished into the communion of the church. Francis Turretin, whose dates are from 1623 to 1687, uh, incidentally whose institutes were used as a standard systematic theology textbook throughout Europe and the United States for many, many years. And he states, concerning Romans 11:26, therefore let it suffice to know that there will be a remarkable conversion of the Jews before the end of the world. Not that all will be converted, but that many will to whom the denomination of all Israel can be applied. John Brown of Womfrey, faithful covenanted minister in the Church of Scotland, dates 1610 to 1679, interprets Romans 11:26 as follows. The whole body of the nation of the Jews shall be brought from under the plague of blindness, under which they lay, and brought under the gospel and the saving ordinances of Christ 
into a gospel covenant church state. Wilhelmus of Brockel, 1635 to 1711, a leading minister teacher in the Dutch Second Reformation, declares in his exposition of Romans 11:26, it would not be the conversion of only a few, of a few individuals here and there, but it would be a conversion of the entire nation. And so all Israel shall be saved. And then we move to the United States. Charles Hodge of Princeton fame, 1797 to 1878, makes the following comment in expounding Romans 11:26. Israel here from the context must mean the Jewish people and all Israel, the whole nation. The Jews as a people are now rejected as a people, they are to be restored. As their rejection, although national, did not include the rejection of every individual, so their restoration, although in like manner national, need not include the salvation of every individual Jew. So that's a brief overview. Um, just, an, and again, as I said, uh, we could multiply, I think, the, the number of passages as one can see, the, the point of going through that historical testimony is not to base our faith upon that, that historical testimony. We are only to base our faith upon what God says and teaches in his word, but to confirm that many before the 19th century did proclaim that Romans 11.26 spoke of when it says, and, all, and, and so all Israel shall be saved, that it spoke of a national conversion of the Jewish people unto the Lord Jesus Christ and into the body, the church of Christ. So let's open to our text in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Let's open to our text that our faith may be firmly grounded upon the truth of God's word and not merely upon historical testimony. Historical testimony confirms God's word. It does not establish God's word. God's word is self-attesting. It is what we base our faith upon. There are two questions that I want to answer in the course of the sermon today. First, what is the context leading up to our text? in Romans 11, 25 through 26. And second question, who is the all Israel that shall be saved? So the context, very important that we understand the context leading up to these verses in Romans 11, 25 through 26. The Apostle Paul here writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapters 9 through 11, in order to deal with a most pressing question affecting the Christians in Rome at that time, a question concerning God's redemptive plan for Israel. And the, the, the question behind chapters 9 through 11 would run something like this. Does Israel's present unbelief 
and rebellion against Jesus Christ prove that God has, has completely and permanently cast off his people, Israel, as a nation. We see that Paul expresses his very heavy burden that he has to see Israel saved, Israel as a people and as a nation saved in Romans 9, verses 1 through 4a. I say the truth in Christ, Paul says, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why does he have this sorrow, heaviness? What is this burden that he is talking about? Verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. That great burden had to do with the people of Israel, that they, as a people, as a nation, they had turned against the Lord Jesus. They had forsaken uh, the covenant God had made with them. They had become, again, a covenant-breaking people and nation in turning against Christ and in joining hands with the Romans to put Christ to death. Likewise, in chapter 10, verse 1, you hear the same burden expressed by Paul. Brethren, this is verse 1 of chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For Israel, the nation, the people as a whole. That's who he's talking about. That's the concern that Paul has here in these chapters, chapters 9 through 11. Now when we come to Romans chapter 11, <clears throat> we uh, read in verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Which people? The people that he has this great burden for, that he wants to see come to Christ, Israel as a nation. And the question, hath God cast away his people? And he says in the strongest possible way, the strongest way of denial in the Greek language, God forbid, let it never be. <coughs> Remember that chapter divisions in, in the Bible were not a part of the original text, but were added uh, later to help with reading, to help with being able to go to um, places uh, in the Bible to find them more readily. Um, and so chapter divisions, verse division were added subsequently. They're not, they're not inspired as is the text itself. The text is inspired, but not uh, the chapter divisions. And, and I note that because uh, there is a, a connection between chapter 10, Romans 10 and verses 20 through 21, and chapter 11, verse 1. And if we don't see that connection, we're not going to uh, perhaps understand who the apostle is speaking of in chapter 11, verse 1, as clearly. But notice what he, Paul says in chapter 10, verses 20 through 21. But Isaiah is very bold, that is Isaiah, and saith, I was found of them, 
that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long have I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. <clears throat> Here we see in these verses that, that the Israel that's in view in chapter 10, verse 21, but to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people, which is, again, a prophecy, these two verses from Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 2. This is speaking of Israel as a people, Israel as a nation, that, that have not responded to the call of God to come unto him. Though he has gone to them with his prophets and, and then with Christ, and then with the apostles, uh, they have not responded as a nation uh, to the Lord's invitation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have turned away Let me be very clear uh, that God's redemptive plan for Israel as a nation in the future will not be distinct from God's plan for his church. Israel will be incorporated into Christ's church. You see, Jesus only speaks of having one bride. Jesus is not a polygamist, that he has Israel as a bride and then the church as a bride. He only has one bride. And though that bride in the Old Testament was the church that was composed mostly of Israelites, that church, that, that nation turned against the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said that the kingdom had been taken away from them and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruit of it, which would be the Gentile nations. And so we see here, and I want to make it very clear, uh, as Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, not the churches, not uh, uh, more than one church, one universal church of Jesus Christ. He loved the church. That's his wife. So anything to do with Israel in the future is not a separate plan from being in the church, being distinct from the church, but being brought in again, to be a part of the faithful bride of Jesus Christ. Just as we will see in a future sermon, in Romans 11, verse 17, there's only one olive tree. There's not two olive trees, one for Israel and one for the church. There is only one olive tree. And so here we find, uh, again, that's very, I think, important for us to note 
that uh, there is one olive tree, his visible church, and covenanted people. Dear ones, Israel here is exhibit one. Is exhibit one in demonstrating God's covenant love and faithfulness to those who are unworthy. In Israel, we see ourselves as well. We see ourselves who are every bit as undeserving, every bit as unworthy of God's love and mercy as was Israel. What we deserved was God's judgment. We who are Gentiles and have come to Christ, we deserve God's judgment as much as Israel is under God's judgment presently. Our rebellion, uh, in many ways, is worse than Christ's rebellion because we have now the completed canon of scripture. We have all of God's word. We have the gospels that testify of Christ. And yet how many turn against that testimony, the more complete testimony of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And so I submit to you, dear ones, that as we work our way through this, Israel's salvation is our salvation. And let us rejoice as we study then God's mercy worked out in history to, uh, to Israel. The second question that we want to answer here is, who is the all Israel that shall be saved? We need to understand again through Romans chapter 11, when it uses the term Israel, what Israel is being referred to. And that's what I propose to do in trying to answer this question, who is the all Israel that shall be saved? There really, I believe, should not be much controversy when we take that approach that we simply work our way through chapter 11 to understand who the all Israel is. Shouldn't really be too much controversy about the all Israel that shall be saved, but there are three main interpretations of who this all Israel is. First, the first interpretation is it is the new Israel composed of Jews and Gentiles, basically the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, composed of Jews and Gentiles, the new Israel. The second interpretation is uh, it's uh, a saved remnant uh, of Israel, an elect remnant from uh, out of Israel. Not the nation of Israel, but an elect remnant presently who have come to embrace Jesus Christ. And then the third interpretation is that it is the greater part of the nation of Israel that is in view here when all Israel, it says all Israel shall be saved. As we've already considered kind of begun our looking at who 
Israel is by noting the end of chapter 10 and who the Israel is that's spoken to in verse 21, spoken of in verse 21. But to Israel, God says, say it, all day long I have stretched forth my hands into a disobedient and gainsaying people. That's not then the Israel, the new Israel composed of Jews and Gentiles. It's not the believing remnant from within the nation of Israel. It is the nation of Israel that is spoken of at the end of chapter 10, verse 21. And that's who, again, looking at chapter 11, verse 1, that's who is in view when Paul asks, hath God cast away his people, his people Israel, as a nation, as an unbelieving nation at the present time, at the time of Paul, and then at our time, in our time as well. <clears throat> as we noted, Paul, in the strongest terms, says, God forbid, that, in other words, that God had cast away his people, that, that he says, let it never be. And in denying this in the strongest terms, he holds himself forth as an Israelite, that God's not finished with Israel as a people, as a nation. Paul views himself as like a first fruit of redemption and salvation that is going to come to the nation as a whole. He says, I'm an Israelite. God has brought me unto himself, unto Jesus Christ, has brought me into the church of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 2 through 4, Romans 11, verses 2 through 4, Paul continues, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy people, or thy prophets, and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men, who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Again, uh, here we find, just as Paul would be like uh, one of the believing remnant out of the nation of Israel, as a token of the first fruit that God is going to save all of his people, he's going to save uh, the nation of Israel as a whole, so likewise, then Paul moves to talk about it, uh, at the time of Elijah. And he, Elijah says, is speaking against Israel. Notice in verse 2. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against who? Against Israel. Israel, that, is that, that Israel that is mentioned in verse 2, is that the new Israel, composed of both Jews, believing Jews and 
and Gentiles? No. Is that Israel, um, the faithful, believing remnant out of the nation of Israel that Elijah is speaking against? No. It's the greater part of Israel. It's the greater part of, of unbelieving national Israel that he is speaking against. But God once again had reserved to himself 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal, a remnant, a believing remnant, which again holds forth uh, that God is going to, in saving a remnant, he is going to save the fullness of Israel at his own uh, proper time. And then we move to verses 5 through 7. Romans 11, verses 5 through 7. Even so, then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So moving from the time of Elijah, moving forward in history, Paul says, even now at this present time, uh, there is a remnant, a believing remnant, according to the election of God's grace. And so God has his faithful remnant amongst uh, Israel in the Old Testament. He has those who are serving him faithfully, a very small group in comparison to the larger group that have rejected him, that have turned against him. And so even at that time that Paul is writing, the vast majority of the Jews had turned against the gospel of Jesus Christ, against the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but again, he calls it a remnant according to the election of grace. God has chosen them. God has brought them already as believing Jews unto himself. But again, that's not the end of the story. God is preserving amongst the Jews, amongst Israel. He's preserving his remnant as a token, as a first fruit of what he is going to do to the nation as a whole. In verse 7, again the word Israel is used, the name. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So Israel here cannot be the remnant because you see there's a distinction between Israel and the remnant that he makes in verse 7. Israel hath not obtained it. The greater part of the nation of Israel hath not obtained the righteousness of God. But the elect, the remnant from among Israel, they have. And so there is this distinction between Israel as a nation and the elect, the remnant from uh, out of the nation. But how is Israel used? Once again, it's not used for the remnant it distinguishes it from the remnant. Israel is used for the nation, 
the unbelieving greater majority and part of the nation that have turned against Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and then we now come to verses 8 through 10. And again, I'm just uh, doing a real quick walk through uh, this and hopefully it's beneficial to you that you get a sense of just very briefly the context uh, that we find when we actually get to Romans 11 verses 25 through 26. But notice in verses 8 through 10, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. It doesn't use the word uh, Israel in this section, verses 8 through 10, but who are who are in view in the use of all the pronouns that are used here? Verse 8, according as, as it is written, God hath given them, who's the them? The spirit of slumber. The greater part of national Israel, right? That they, that pronoun, that they should not see. They're blinded. And ears that they the same Israel, the greater part, the national Israel, they should not hear unto this day. Verse 9, and David saith, let their, whose table? Their table, the greater part of Israel as a nation, their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them, the greater part of Israel as a nation. Let their eyes, same Israel, be darkened. He's not talking here about those who are saved. He's not talking about a remnant of those who believe out of Israel. He's talking about the unbelieving, the greater part of national Israel. That's who's in view. He's not talking about the new Israel composed of both Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about national Israel as an unbelieving uh, people that have rejected the Lord and the judgment that God has presently brought upon them for that. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. <clears throat> Having demonstrated that Israel as a collective body and as a nation have been blinded in their unbelief and rebellion against God. Note uh, Paul's question that he asked in Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they, who? The same people he's been talking about, right? The greater part of Israel as a, as a nation, the unbelieving nation. Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. And so, again, we're talking here about Israel as an unbelieving nation. Paul asks, has Israel as a nation 
basically he's asking, have they stumbled for nothing? Have they fallen for nothing? Is there no plan of God that's involved in their fall and their being cast away as a people? Is God finished with them as a nation forever? To the contrary, Paul says, God forbid. Again, that strongest kind of denial that we can find in, in, the, in the Greek language. God forbid. Let it never be. Paul says in verse 11, basically, to the contrary, God has wisely intended Israel's fall as a people, as a nation, to provoke Israel as a people and as a nation to jealousy by bringing in the Gentiles, by bringing in the Gentile nations into that olive tree, into his church by means of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a plan, there's a purpose in Israel's rejection as a nation, the blindness that they now see or, or cannot see the gospel. And then, as we come to verse 12, <clears throat> and likewise in verse 15, and I know this is rather um, almost commentary-like, uh, working through a text, uh, just going through a chapter very briefly, making comments as just as we, but it's important that you understand the context before we get to Romans 11, verses 25 through 26, because once I think we understand the context, I, I really believe it becomes very, it ought to become very clear to us who's in view then when Paul says, and so all Israel shall be saved. Notice in verse 12, and in verse 15, there, there are two conditional sentences uh, that we're going to just very briefly look at. Two conditional sentences. When I speak of a conditional sentence, a conditional sentence would be like in English, if this happens, then this will happen. If and then. So that's kind of the idea of a conditional sentence. And there are two conditional sentences here. Uh, in verse 12, uh, there's one, and in verse 15, there's a conditional sentence. So let's look at the first conditional sentence in verse uh, 12. And let me read it, then I'll go back and look at it more closely. Now, if the fall, that's the, that's the if part of the, of the conditional sentence. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, then here comes the second part, the then part of the sentence. How much more their fullness? So let's just look at that and then we'll look at verse 15. So the if part of the sentence, which um, is called the protasis uh, in, the, in the conditional sentence, the if part of the sentence is called the protasis, the then part of the sen a conditional sentence is called the apodosis. Again, grammatically, uh, that's, that's just... Uh, if you ever run across those terms, uh, that's what they refer to. So the if part of the sentence, uh, which is presently true, um, 
The, the particular word for if that is used here in the Greek language assumes that what is being said is true. And what is true is if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles. And that is true. That, that's the, that's the um, grammatically speaking, that's uh, where the use of that particular particle, Greek particle, um, is, it, it's, the, it's the particle A, um, spelled in English letters E-I. Um, and so that particular particle assumes the, the validity, the reality, the truthfulness of what uh, is said in the first part of the sentence. If the fall of them, which is true, and who is the them? The fall of whom? Israel is a people, Israel is a nation, be the riches of the world, that is, the spiritual riches of the gospel have gone out to the, to the world, to the Gentile nations of the world, and the diminishing of them, the them again refers to uh, Israel as a people and a nation, the diminishing of them, that is, the, the overthrow, uh, diminishing the overthrow of Israel as a nation, be the riches of the Gentiles, again, focusing upon the spiritual riches brought to the Gentiles by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ because Israel was under God's judgment. Then we come to the then part of the sentence. Uh, then, that's implied, how much more their fullness, how much more, that is, Israel's, Israel as a people and as a nation, how much more their fullness will be? How much more will come to the world, to the Gentile world, when the fullness of Israel is brought in? If the Gentiles were blessed, by Israel's fall as a part of God's purpose, God's plan. In other words, just wait, just wait to see the blessing upon the Gentile nations throughout the whole world when Israel comes to Christ in the fullness as a Christian nation. Then the second conditional sentence, verse 15, and I'll read that and then we'll go back and look at it. Romans eleven fifteen. For if, notice again the condition if, and it's the same particle, A, in the Greek. So this is a condition of reality. It's assumed to be true. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? So again, very similar to what we have just seen in verse 12. If the casting away of them, that is Israel as a people and as a nation, be the reconciling of the world, that is the gospel of reconciliation has gone out to all the nations of the world. Then, that's implied, then what shall be the receiving of them. The receiving of whom? 
Israel as a nation, as a people, when they're received back into communion with Christ, when they're brought back into the olive tree, what shall be then with regard to the Gentile world? It will be, Paul says, life from the dead. In other words, there will be such a mighty spiritual revival and, and spiritual resurrection of souls throughout the world the nations of the world, when God brings back Israel unto himself. This will be what we find in the millennium uh, happening uh, with Israel and the nations of the world together. In the interest of uh, time, go with me to verse 25, Romans eleven twenty-five, where we find the last reference to Israel uh, that is mentioned just prior to Paul's statement in verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. The last statement or mention of Israel is in verse 25, Romans 11:25. And notice what it says: For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. And this is the mystery: that blindness, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. Well, there's not been blindness to the new Israel. That blindness has been removed. The, the new Israel composed of both Jew, uh, believing Jews and Gentiles, they're not blinded. Um, uh, nor is the believing remnant of Israel. They've not been blinded. They see. The blinders have been removed. So who here is it speaking of that has been blinded in part? National Israel. And the reason that it's in part is because there is a remnant that has been saved uh, through the election of God's free grace and drawing them unto Christ to believe and trust in Christ alone rather than in their own good works. Uh, there is a believing remnant that has been brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and it's also a blindness in part because it's not permanent. There is going to be the lifting of that blindness upon, off the eyes of national Israel. So it's a partial blindness in, in, in both by way of who is blinded, uh, the, the greater part of Israel as opposed to the remnant, but also it's a blindness in part in that it's, uh, it's not permanent, uh, that it's going to, the blindness is going to end at some point uh, in the future. Until, it says, and this is the point, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Blindness in part, until the full number of those nations that God has ordained to bring un unto himself throughout the world, that blindness will, will continue until that time. <clears throat> so I submit that throughout Romans chapter 11, 
that we cannot find one single instance in which Israel, the term Israel refers to anything other than the people and the nation of Israel. Doesn't refer to the new Israel composed of believing Jews and Gentiles any other place. It doesn't, in Romans 11, refer to the believing remnant. It actually distinguishes and um, uh, contrasts the believing remnant of Israel from Israel. And so in all other instances, now as we come to Romans 11.26, all other instances have referred to Israel as a people and as a nation. When we get to Romans 11.26, I submit that to come up with a, a different understanding of who Israel is at that point, and so all Israel shall be saved, than what we have already seen throughout chapter 11 is to import into that verse something that we have not yet found in the rest of the chapter. To explain and to interpret, and so all Israel shall be saved by what has previously been said as to who Israel is, is to interpret it consistently that it is referring to the people and the nation of Israel as a whole. And so, in Romans eleven twenty six, and so, Paul says, and so, that is, uh, in this way, all Israel shall be saved. In what way? And so, in what way? Well, in the way that he just explained in verse 25. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so in that way, after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, in that way, Israel, all Israel, shall be saved. This is the same Israel that was cast away, that is saved. This is the same Israel that fell away, that is saved. This is the same Israel that was diminished or overthrown, that is saved. This is the same Israel that was blinded, that is here said to be saved. It is that Israel as a nation that will be saved in the future. That's all I'm going to say um, as it relates to our text uh, this Lord's Day. We'll, we'll talk about uh, a couple more matters uh, in maybe the next couple sermons as it relates to chapter 11. Um, there are a few more sermons that I have in mind related to Israel, but um, just to give you an idea of where we're headed, Dear ones, those who do not see a future conversion of Israel as a people and as a nation, and that is one of the interpretations uh, that we find, supersessionism uh, basically says that there isn't a future uh, for Israel at all. Um, 
dispensationalism goes the, to the opposite extreme and says there's not only a future salvation for Israel, but the, the temple will be rebuilt and the priesthood restored, the sacrifices restored, and things of that nature. Um, we've already noted those two positions we believe to be contrary uh, to God's word. Um, but there is, again, there is a future for Israel yet to come that the apostle speaks of in Romans chapter 11. And this is the realization of those prophecies as well that are, that are uh, or confirmation of those prophecies that we've already looked at in the Old Testament that speak of, of Israel's salvation and restoration together in those Old Testament prophecies, you'll recall, with the Gentile nations, right? Remember uh, th that theme in those passages that the nations will also be joined in that salvation with Israel. And so here, Romans 11, the same. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all, and so all Israel shall be saved. The Gentile nations coming in Israel in her fullness as well coming in. Saying, I would propose and submit to you, it is teaching the same thing that we have found in those prophecies in Zechariah and in Isaiah. The believing remnant presently from amongst the Jews that believe and trust in Jesus Christ uh, that believing remnant is not the realization, I would submit, that believing remnant is not the realization of those Old Testament prophecies and of this prophecy. But rather, the believing remnant is the first fruit of a greater harvest that the Lord is going to bring in the future. It may be discouraging to believing Jews at the present time that there are so few of them that have come to Jesus Christ. But I would encourage them, encourage us as well, that there is coming a glorious time, a glorious time of worldwide gospel prosperity and blessing, which will usher in Christ's church in such a glorious way that the nations of this world will be brought into Christ's church and Israel will be brought into Christ's church. Can you imagine the headlines? The headlines, newspapers, internet sites throughout the world at that time. Israel comes to embrace Jesus Christ as king and savior. Lord, hasten that day. We can also, I think, perhaps join with those believing Jews today, the remnant that have believed and trusted in Christ, because we can feel like a remnant as well, can't we? We can feel very small. We can feel very small, not only in the world, but we can feel very small within and among many who profess to be Christians and who in so many ways make a mockery of, of the true Christian religion. And we can feel very small and seemingly insignificant. 
we can become very discouraged at times at the corruption and, and at the tyranny in nations and in high places. We can become discouraged because of nations that have, have solemnly sworn to God to be God's people as a nation, as this nation is bound by that covenant with the Lord. But we too, we need to view this as what we said about the remnant, the believing remnant from Israel as being first fruit. We need to understand ourselves as being a first fruit. First fruit of Gentiles to the Lord our God, holding forth the promise that there is coming in the future a time in which the full harvest of Gentile nations will be brought in by the gospel of Jesus Christ into the church of Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles will be brought at that time into the same olive tree of Christ's church, professing the same doctrine, the same worship, and the same church government, all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let us not, therefore, be discouraged. Let us not cast aside our hope. There are much better things that God has in store for us, his people, in the future. Let us look to that hope that is laid before us. Whether it be problems that we suffer in our families, trials with work, health issues, let us look forward. Christ doesn't change. Christ's promises do not change. Everything else about us is subject to change. People, circumstances, work, leaders, nations. But Jesus doesn't. Let us keep our hope firmly fixed upon the Lord Jesus and his promises. Amen. Stand with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank thee for thy word, thank thee for thy promise and promises, for all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. We thank thee, our Lord, that thou hast given to us such hope uh, concerning this world, uh, because, again, we know who rules. It is our Savior who is king. It is our Savior who will bring Israel, who will bring the nations unto himself. And we praise thee and thank thee and look forward whether we are alive, but we look forward to that time uh, when thou wilt accomplish these amazing uh, Fulfillment and, uh, fulfillments and realizations of these promises. Lord, we, we commit our lives to thee. We ask, Lord, help us to walk in faithfulness to thee. Let thy word, our God, be uh, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.